Thanks, Christina. It's good to be here, and it's good to be able to share uh, in God's Word with you. Um, before we begin, maybe I'll just um, say a word of prayer, so why don't you all join me? Father God, we just thank you um, that we have your Word and that we can read it, uh, that we can learn so much from it, and that we can be blessed by it. Um, Father, we pray that as we um, dig into your Word and have a look at this book of Acts, um, may you prepare us as we start this um, series and as we go through this series, help us to learn um, what you want us to learn, help us to be challenged, uh, but also encouraged by how the early church um, fulfilled uh, your will and obeyed you, and help us to be able to see how we can do it today as well. So we pray these things. In your name, amen. Okay, so recently, for those of you who have known me for a long time, you you may have noticed that I've been sporting a bit of a new look, Um, one that involves a helmet, one that involves my hair let down, and generally a very sweaty face and a very sweaty back as well. Because over the last few months, um, I've been riding my bike and I've been trying to sort of get into the habit of using my bike a little bit more. I've been trying to ride to church, uh, trying to ride to town, uh, and just really generally trying to avoid paying um, crazy prices for petrol. Now, with my um, watch, I can track a lot of stats about my bike rides. And generally, whenever I'm trying to ride somewhere, I'm always trying to improve or I'm trying to get better at my riding. I want to always want to try and ride just a little bit faster than the last time. It's like last time it took me 15 minutes to get home, this time I need to be 14 minutes and 58 seconds, you know? Um, and at the very beginning when I first started riding my bike, um, I saw myself improve really quickly and it was like, oh, this is really easy to get better. Um, mainly because I'd never really ridden a bike before. I didn't, ride up, uh, I didn't grow up riding bikes, so I never really knew how to stop properly. Um, I didn't know how to turn corners properly. I definitely didn't know how to use bike lanes or use the, use the crossings properly. But as I, quickly, um, started to, as I quickly got used to it, I found that I started to hit certain limits that would stop me from improving and getting faster. I realized that there were lots of different limitations that would stop me from improving. Things like my bike itself. I realized that, well, my bike only has seven gears on it, and so if I'm on my top gear and I'm pedaling as fast as I can, the bike can't go any faster. If I had more gears, then maybe I could go faster, but with the number of gears that I have, that's as fast as it can go. I've compared my bike to other people's bikes, and I've noticed that my bike has a certain weight. So I realized that, well, if my bike was a little bit lighter, then I probably could go a little bit faster as well. But, you know, I'm not going to be able to change that on my bike. That's the limitation of my bike itself. I also realized that there are limitations that are outside of my control as well. Never in my life have I ever been so interested in the wind speed and wind direction. Every time I leave the house now, I have to check the weather forecast, but I don't check whether it's going to rain or not. I just check how fast the wind is blowing. Because I find that, you know, if the wind is blowing against you, no matter how fast you pedal, there's no way that I'm going to beat my previous times. And then I also finally realized that I have my own limitations as well. I realized that my quads are only so strong right now, so unless I train or unless I'm disciplined in riding every day, I'm going to hit the limit of my own muscle strength, and I can't ride any faster. And of course, even when I'm really tired, I find that there are mental limits as well, because there are so many days where I just cannot be bothered, and I'll just take the easy way home. 
And so, you know, over these last few weeks, I've been very aware of the different limits that I face. And I constantly think to myself, you know, if I want to beat that record, if I want to go a little bit faster to get home, then I need to somehow go beyond those limits that I face. Now, this new sermon series that Pastor Kent brought us into last week is to go through the book of Acts. And last week, Pastor Kent shared with us essentially how Jesus, after he rose from the grave, he ascended to heaven. But before he did, he gave these instructions to his disciples. He said that they had a task to do, to go and share the gospel. But as the disciples started to do this, as we see this in the book of Acts, we find that they started to hit these limits as well. And so when we think about even today for our church, our call is also to go and share the gospel But often we might find that there are limitations on how well we feel we can actually do this. And so in this sermon series, what we're going to do in the next few months, we're going to look at the early church, we're going to go through the book of Acts, and we're going to look at some of those limitations that they faced, and we're going to look at how they went beyond those limits. And hopefully we'll be able to apply some of those principles that we learn to our church today so that we can see our own limitations today but also see how we can go beyond those limits, beyond those limits to faithfully walk with Jesus and to reach the wider community. And so before we ever start studying a new book of the Bible, one of the things that we should always do is to help, is to ask ourselves a few different questions because we need to understand the context of the book. Some of these questions might be who wrote this book and who was it written for? Maybe we need to ask ourselves, why was this book written in the first place? And of course, it's very helpful to know what is this book about? And so let's answer some of these questions first before we actually get into our text. First, this book of Acts, the first question we have to ask ourselves is who actually wrote it? Now, the author of the book of Acts is widely known as Luke. And you may have heard of the name Luke, or you may have heard of Luke, because he is also the author of another book of the Bible. In the New Testament, the first four books is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so this author, Luke, wrote the book called Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts. Now, Luke was a man who lived around Jesus' time, and he was a doctor. He was a very um, well-educated person. And so when we read the start of his book, Luke, And we read the start of the book of Acts, it gives us a little bit of context and a bit of a clue as to what these two books are all about. Let me read to you the first few verses of the book called Luke. Verses 1 to 4 of chapter 1, it says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. From these couple of verses, we can see a few things about Luke and what he was thinking about when he first wrote these books. The first thing that he acknowledges is that, well, actually, there's quite a few people who have decided to write down things about Jesus' life. And we see that because in our Bible, we have the first few books. We have Matthew, 
Mark and John, all three of those other books also talk about Jesus and his life and what he did on earth. And so Luke is also going to do this. But what he did was he carefully investigated everything from the beginning and he decided to write an orderly account. This is kind of his little bit of a nerdy side coming out of Luke because he's a doctor, he's well-educated, and he wanted to be a historian. He wanted to get the facts right. And so Luke, as he writes the book of Luke, and also as he writes the book of Acts, he's trying to give an accurate account, a historical account of what happened in Jesus' life and what happened after Jesus went into heaven. And so that's a little bit about Luke. Then the next thing we have to think about is, well, who is he writing these two books to? And in those first few verses, we saw that he was writing to the most excellent Theophilus. And this morning, Christina read to us from that first verse in the book of Acts. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so both of these books are written to the same person. So we can kind of draw this idea to say that, well, actually, maybe these are just two parts of the same thing that Luke is writing to this person named Theophilus. Now, we don't know too much about this person, Theophilus, but we do know that Luke addresses him as the most excellent. Now, I don't know if you know much about most excellent. I didn't know much about who the most excellent is, but it did remind me a little bit about in Australia how we name certain people the honourable You might have heard people say the Honourable Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, the Honourable MP, so-and-so. And And in Australia, if someone is the Honourable so-and-so, it means that they are either a current minister or they are a past minister that sat in Parliament. And so this title, the Honourable so-and-so, shows what kind of a, a title or what kind of a position that person has held. And so in the same way, back then, when someone was named most excellent, most excellent Theophilus would mean that this is a person who is most likely in a high rank in some sort of Roman government. Now, the word Theophilus, this name Theophilus, it means dear to God. And so it may seem like this person Theophilus is someone who is in a Roman government but also is high-ranking, but also is a Christian as well, someone who has started to believe these things about Jesus. And so Luke is probably writing all these things because there's this person that he knows, and he's just heard about Jesus, he's just heard about all these things, and Luke says, well, let me write down to you everything that Jesus has done. Let me write down to you all these things that has happened after Jesus has gone back into heaven so that you would understand more about what you're actually believing in. Now, the other really interesting thing is that if this name means dear to God, there's a little thought that I had. Well, maybe who are the people that are actually dear to God? In the Bible, it says that to all who believe in Jesus' name, to all who become Christians, to all who become believers, they become the children of God. And many of you would know that if you have children or for parents who have children, their children are very dear to them, dear to God. And so perhaps Luke has this little double meaning here. He's writing to a person named Theophilus, but he's also writing to all of those who are dear to God, all those who are believers, and that includes every single one of us who's sitting here today as well. And so as we have a look at who wrote this book and who it's written for, 
we realize that there was significance back then as Luke wrote these books to a person named Theophilus, but there's also significance to him writing this book to us today. And as Christina read these first eight verses of Acts, the one verse that I really want to focus on is Acts chapter 1, verse 8, because this is what Jesus said to his followers. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so this really, this verse is quite often seen as the key verse for the whole book of Acts because it really describes what those disciples and what that early church did throughout this whole book that Luke records. And this morning, I want to give you a bit of an overview, a sort of a speed run through the book of Acts so that you can sort of see at a very high level, what kind of things are we going to look at? What kind of themes come out? What kind of things do we look out for over the next few months as we look into each bits of this book? And the best way to look at it is to try and break down this book into a few different parts. Now, there are two different ways that people often tend to break down the book of Acts. One is to follow the geography of the gospel, to follow where the gospel of Jesus goes as it moves through the book of Acts. And we'll find that in what Jesus says is that he says that you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then you will be my witnesses in all of Judea, Samaria, and then you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And what you find is that in the first seven chapters, in Acts chapters 1 to 7, you'll find that the gospel is within Jerusalem. It's being spread in the city of Jerusalem. Then as you get into the chapters 8 to 12, you'll find that the gospel suddenly makes a move. It starts spreading, and then it goes beyond into Judea and Samaria. And then as you pick up into Acts chapter 13, all the way through to the end, you see the gospel explode as it moves beyond Judea and Samaria, and it goes to the ends of the earth. And then if you follow the people in the book of Acts, you can see that it's also split up in two parts as well. And you'll find that in the first 11 chapters of Acts, so Acts chapters 1 to 11, you'll find that the story follows Jesus' disciple Peter. And you'll see mainly how Peter brings the gospel and where he goes. It's kind of like the camera's following Peter as he moves along in his life. And you see the gospel following him around. And then when we get to Acts chapter 12 towards the end, the main character seems to switch. And suddenly we're following Paul, this person Paul, as he brings the gospel all throughout the world. And so there's a lot packed into this book. But what I want to do is I want to sort of go over this book today and answer this question of why. Why did Luke write this book of Acts? And let me once again read to you Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, our sermon series title is called Sent Beyond Limits. This is what we're going to be thinking about over these next few months. And what we see in the book of Acts is that there's these small group of disciples, maybe just 120 of them. And over this book of Acts, we see them as they go beyond their limits of their time, beyond their limits of their situations and their environments, as they spread the gospel to Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria, and out to the ends of the earth. 
And so as we read through the book of Acts, one of these commentators, one of the scholars have said that this is kind of like the greatest missionary manual. It's like a manual on how to spread the gospel, not just where we are, but also to the region around us, but also to the ends of the earth. And so without spoiling the rest of the series, as you look through this book, we actually find that the early church, this first group of disciples, they faced lots of different limitations. And I want to suggest that there are three different types of limits that they faced, and these are ones that we might find in our church as well. We'll find that there are limitations of the church itself, there are limitations that come from outside of the church, And then there are also limitations of the people in the church as well. So we're going to look at these three different types as we speed through the book of Acts this morning. The first one is the limitations of the church. Because as we see these disciples obey and as they start spreading the gospel, we find that, well, actually, the church is the people. And the church is made up of people who are sinful. And so as the church grows, you'll find that as we read through these chapters, the church grows and people have real good intentions. They want to share things with each other. They want to do the good work of God. But yet they are still sinful because we're human beings. And so there are people who will, will see that they will lie and they'll steal from the church. And this becomes a hindrance to the church's growth and to its foundation. You might think to yourself, how can a church be spreading the gospel effectively when there is sin happening inside? And this was a problem for the early church, but it's also a problem for churches today as well. You think about some of the most notable churches, some of the biggest names, when there is sin in the church and when it comes out, reputation disappears, people start leaving the church, people start leaving the faith. But it's not just the big churches that encounter these things. Even our church might encounter this as well. Because even here, as we sit today, we are all sinful people. It's impossible to have a church of just perfect people who don't sin. But what we can do is we can develop healthy and godly ways to handle the sin in our church. And we're going to see how the early church did that. But we also have to identify what kind of sin might be hiding in our church that's stopping us from being able to spread the gospel. Another thing that we see the church encounter in the book of Acts is that the church just rapidly expands. In just one day, it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, that over 3,000 people were added to the church. Can you imagine that next week, suddenly we have 400 people rock up on our doorstep at CCMA? How on earth will we deal with it? How will we deal with it if all of our fellowships suddenly doubled or even tripled in size? How are we going to deal with the expansion of the church with so many people coming in? Then later on, we'll see another limit of the early church is that there may be limits in how we are able to discern God's will. We see in Acts chapter 15 that there's Paul and Barnabas, both strong leaders in the church, but they have a disagreement. In this case, they're disagreeing on whether to take certain people onto their next mission trip. Both of these people have really good points, Both of these men's arguments come from a good place. Both of them are godly men. But what happens when you have two people who are two leaders wanting to go in different directions, both godly? And of course, this will happen in our church as well because we are a church of different people. What happens if our church seems to be divided in who we support in our mission trips? 
Maybe some of us will say, actually, I think that we should go back to Wyala and support our Wyala CMA because we've built strong relationships with them. Other people in our church might say, well, actually, a couple of years ago, we went to Indonesia and there were so many churches that we were helping out there. How do we decide? They're both good things. They're both serving God's will. How do we resolve these things? How can we choose which direction our church should go when both directions seem to honor God and are in line with his will? That's something that we will see what the early church does. Another limit in the early church that we see in the book of Acts will be doctrinal conflict, where some people in the early church might have certain views on different topics of God, while other people have different views that might seem to conflict. In Acts chapter 15, the church had to deal with this because there were all these newcomers that were coming into the church, but they weren't of the Jewish tradition. And so all these people who were already in the church, they said, well, all these newcomers, they need to follow all of our traditions if they are to become believers. But in doing so, it was actually causing grief. It was actually causing all this tension. And potentially, it was even driving these newcomers away from the church. And so the leaders of the church had to meet together to discuss and to figure out how to deal with these doctrinal issues in the church as well. And again, there will be lessons for us to learn because even today, even within our church, between our church and other churches, we all may have differing doctrines. The fact that we have different denominations, that we have um, many different views on baptism, on the Holy Spirit, on Holy Communion, on even the end times on when Jesus will return. How can the church overcome the limits of these differing doctrines so that we can still reach the wider community? How can our church know what doctrines have different interpretations, and that's okay, but which ones are not okay, where we have to stick to what the Bible says? As we consider our church at CCMA, how can we not be limited by these minor doctrine differences and still reach our wider community united? So that's just a little bit of some of those limits that we'll see the early church come up, come up against and we'll see how they go beyond them. And all these limits, it kind of made me think, well, it's part of the church itself, the organization. It's kind of like my bike. If I only have seven gears, that's as, only as fast as I go. You know, there's some of those limits of the church. But then we find that the early church also faced external limits, limits that were placed on them out of their control. One that we'll see quite often as we go through the book of Acts will be the limit of spiritual attack. For the early church, they had to deal with things like evil spirits possessing people to stop the gospel spreading. In Acts chapter 13, we'll see Paul and Barnabas as they go out, and there's a sorcerer that's trying to stop them from preaching the gospel. Just a few chapters later, in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are out on another mission trip, and they meet an evil spirit who's possessed a girl, allowing her to predict the future and causing trouble in the town and stopping Paul and Silas from being able to spread the gospel. These are even my favorite one. In Acts chapter 19, there are some Jews who try to cast out demons, who try to cast out these evil spirits, but they end up failing. And it says that the man with the spirit overpowered the Jews, beat them up so much that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. You know? Some of these are the challenges that they're going to face, the limitations. How are they going to deal with spiritual attack? And for us today in our church... We might not necessarily encounter evil spirits in the same way that they did, we might, but we still encounter spiritual attacks nonetheless. 
excuse me, we might find that as people grow, as people in our church grow in their spiritual walk with God, it seems like they just start to run into more and more trouble. It seems like the more that they serve at church, the worse off that their life gets. It might seem like we might get to the point where every time our church tries to start a new ministry, every time we try to get a prayer ministry off the ground, there are just all these things that stop it from going forward. Now, I'm not saying that every failed ministry is a spiritual attack, but spiritual attack is absolutely still real today, and we need to know how to face them. How can we be prepared as a church against these spiritual attacks as they come so that we can still be effective in spreading the gospel? Another limit that we find with the local church facing in, in the early church was that they were facing these limitations imposed by the local governments. Often there would be all these authorities, local officials that would try and stop the church from being able to expand or to spread the word. Both Paul and Peter had lots of stints in prison because they were in prison for spreading the gospel. Other times these leaders would be trying to plot against them to turn the people away from listening to Paul and Peter. And of course, we also may face these challenges um, in the years to come for us as well. And the challenge for us is how will our church continue to reach out to the wider community if we start getting limited by the local authorities? How can we continue to walk faithfully with Jesus and obey him if it means disobeying local authorities? How do we balance that and how do we hold that intention? And then another limit that is outside of the early church's control, but it's something that's imposed, is simply that the audience that they're spreading the gospel to, they may not actually want to hear. Many times you'll see in the book of Acts, there are all these people who are going to faraway places. They're doing all this hard work to spread the gospel. And yet the people who they were talking to, they didn't want to hear anything of it. Sometimes the community that they were trying to teach or trying to preach the gospel to, they would have their own beliefs and they didn't want to fully accept the gospel. They wanted to do things their own way. Other times there were people who simply just misunderstood. As hard as these people tried to explain the gospel clearly, the people who are hearing, they just didn't quite grasp it. And so there are all these challenges that they have to face. How can we go beyond those limits of these people who don't want to hear, people who don't understand? How can we still continue to faithfully share the gospel? And so these two different limits, the limits of the church itself, we'll see how the early church goes beyond them. These limits that are external and are imposed by other people outside of the control of the church, we'll see how the early church faces those. But then there's also a third one as well, the third type of limitation that had the potential to stop the early church spreading the gospel, and that's the limits of the people inside of the church. Because time and time again, as we follow through the story of people like Peter, people like Paul, we'll see that they face the limitations of themselves. We'll see that Paul was beat up multiple times. We'll see that Stephen ended up being killed by getting stoned. We see that Peter was getting jailed and beaten up. We see that on missionary trips, there were murder and assassination attempts on all of these faithful missionaries. All these people who were trying to proclaim the gospel, they were met with personal suffering. And quite often, this kind of persecution and this kind of suffering, this will present a limit 
Because there's only a certain limit that you can go before you just can't deal with the persecution and suffering anymore. And this might be us as well. Individually, for each one of us, as we try and do God's work, we may end up suffering. We may end up facing persecution. And we may feel like, man, I'm at the limit. I cannot give any more to doing God's will. There are also limits in terms of the courage that people had as well. In Acts chapter 9, there's a believer who is called Ananias, and he was called by God to meet this man called Paul to go and heal him. But at that time, this Paul, he was a person who was explicitly and publicly going around killing Christians. And so for God to say to this person, go and meet this man and go and tell him about the gospel, it would be like God saying to you, go to a country, go to this group of people who we know are out to kill Christians, go there to tell them about God. What kind of limit would you face if you felt that? To feel like you were being sent to the place where you were about to be killed by the people there. In Acts chapter 2, we see Peter speaking in front of potentially thousands of people, sharing the gospel, sharing his testimony. Often we get worried about sharing our testimony, sharing our story, because we might think, oh, it's not, very, it's not a very good testimony. I'm kind of a little bit embarrassed. I'm a bit shy. Or maybe we might feel like, oh, I don't have the courage to share the gospel because I don't, I don't know all of the Bible. I, I might get confused. You know, there are some of those limits that the early church faced, and they're the ones that we face today as well. And then, of course, the early church, the people in the early church also faced the things that we face today in terms of the rules of the world. People like Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, they had to make a decision whether to give their wealth to the church or whether to keep it to themselves. Paul had all these church leaders go to him and say, look after your own life. Don't go back to Jerusalem because that's where you're going to get arrested. Stay with us. Stay with us and protect your own life. And this is a challenge for us today as well because the lures and the comforts of this world constantly will try to persuade us away from spreading the gospel, away from reaching the wider community. Our comforts will tell us, you know what? We're not really good at talking to new people. We don't really know the Bible well enough. I don't think anyone will listen to me anyway. It's probably better if we just hang out within ourselves. You know, I probably could invite someone from, from school or from work, but I don't know. I don't know whether they would like church. So, you know what? It's, it's better just to hang out with my own people. The world will pull us away, and we will find that there's a limit to how much we feel that we can resist the pull of the world. And these limits are kind of like me as a bike rider not being fit enough, not having enough discipline to train my legs to be stronger. But what we'll see in this book of Acts is that as the early church faced these limits, the limits of the church, the external limits, the limits of the individuals in the church, they somehow went beyond. They somehow overcame those limits because if they didn't, we wouldn't be here today. The gospel wouldn't have reached Australia in Adelaide for us to know. But how did they do it? Now, I won't go into specifics because we've got three months to go through each little bit of these passages, but I will mention these two things. I'll mention that the Holy Spirit and prayer is always present when the church goes beyond their limits. 
Every single time the early church faced a limit, they realized that they weren't able to go beyond that limit by themselves. And the only time that they overcame those limits is when the Holy Spirit was involved and when prayer was involved. In fact, in in the book of Acts, the word prayer is mentioned over 30 times. Nearly every chapter has a reference to prayer because the early church constantly gathered in prayer and they would always give things to God in prayer. And so for us, as we look through these book of Acts, a really good thing for us to see is how did the early church pray to God? And how will we learn to pray as a church so that prayer becomes one of our biggest allies so that we can go beyond those limits in our church? And then the other part of the puzzle is the Holy Spirit. Let me read to you one more time, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will become my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Some people say that the book of Acts can be more accurately described as the acts of the Holy Spirit. Because every time the church faced and limit or a limitation, and every time they went beyond it, it was because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. They received that power from the Spirit, and by being empowered, they were able to go beyond. Without the Holy Spirit, the church would never have gotten off the ground because the Holy Spirit provides encouragement, it provides discernment, it provides power to defeat evil spirits, it provides peace. The list goes on. And as we go through this book, we find that the Holy Spirit empowers the early church in spreading the gospel beyond the limits that they faced. And it is absolutely the same today. We need to depend on the Holy Spirit for our church to be able to go beyond the limits that we will face. Without the Holy Spirit, we will never be able to overcome. We will never be able to go beyond the limits in our church. We will never be able to go beyond the limits outside of our church. And we'll never even be able to go past our own personal limits in fulfilling what Jesus has called us to. And so as I close up today, as we embark on this journey over these next few months following the journey of the early church, we won't be able to go through every single verse. There's not enough time to go through all that. We'd be here for years. We'll be taking selected bits and pieces, but every time we hear God's word being preached, we will see how these passages will teach our church how to go beyond the limits that we see, how we can faithfully walk with Jesus in reaching our wider community. And so let me challenge you in this. As we go through these next few months, take the time to read through the book of Acts. Take the time to ask God to show you, to show us as a church, what kind of limits are we going to face? What kind of limits are we going to face individually? What kind of limits are we going to face as a church? And ask God to equip us so that as a church we'll faithfully go beyond those limits to faithfully walk with Jesus in reaching a wider community. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this incredible book of Acts as we see all of your faithful people, the early church, as they went, depending on the Holy Spirit and on prayer, to go and faithfully spread your gospel. Lord, we know that that 
command that you gave to those disciples back then is still the command that you give us today. And this is our charge for our church. And over the next few months, as we look at how the early church went beyond their limits, show us how we can go beyond our limits. As you send us, you send us to go beyond the limitations that we face today. But we know that we can do that. We know that we can be successful as we depend on your spirit and as we depend on you. And so, Lord, be with us, be with all of us as we um, study your word, as we hear, as we preach your word, and may we be um, empowered by your spirit, and may ultimately your name and your, your gospel be glorified uh, as we spread uh, your word to the nations. We pray these things in your name. Amen.